those are some houses. Sort of looks like some that you and I live in, right? Correct? Some of you are thinking, boy, I'd like one like that. I, I just I just love John Travolta's house. Two airplane garage. A large airplane, small airplane. I just thought that was outstanding, okay? And, and if you were here for the first video, we saw some just unbelievable vehicles, cars, and just awesome garages that they were in. It's funny to watch your faces. Because some of you say, I don't want to go to church like this. If you were here before the first video, okay, and, and, and half of you weren't here, okay, you would have heard Lady Gaga sing, Fashion. Okay? And some of you are sort of, your toes started to move. Some of you are like this. Somebody told me that's not appropriate. I said, what's not appropriate? I don't know, but that's not appropriate. In that song, Fashion, Lady Gaga sang this. You are who you wear. It's true. And come on, let's just be honest about that. Now, I believe if that is a description of us, that we are what we wear, then that's going to lead to a, a very shallow life. And then we heard Madonna. And the first, at first, that first song, some of you thought, well, they must have made a mistake. And then we got Madonna singing Material Girl. And some of you got rocking. Your shoulders started moving. Okay? Now, listen. Madonna said this in that song. Listen to me. See, because some of us older adults, we say we don't want that stuff, and we don't even understand that stuff. And you know, our children, our grandchildren are bombarded with that. And you can keep your head in a hole like an ostrich if you want, and you can lose your children and your grandchildren. Matter of fact, some of us are so full of slave preference to self that we don't care if our children or grandchildren can even identify with our churches. Let them not come because they think it's boring and irrelevant. But listen to what Madonna said in Material Girl. The boy with the cold hard cash is always Mr. Right. Now think about that, Mom and Dad, when your daughter is thinking about getting married. And think about that when you tell all your kids, wait till you have a good education and money before you get married. She says, the boy with the cold hard cash is always Mr. Right because we are living in a material world and I am a material girl. And I'm sorry to say, some of us parents and some of us grandparents, we are material parents and we are material grandparents. And we just agree with Madonna. We hate her song. You hear, you turn your face away from her. But she knows the truth about you and I and this society. And then Marilyn Monroe came on. And I chose that because I thought some of us older folks could identify when, you know, we tell our children, you shouldn't watch that kind of stuff. And our parents say, why are you going to movies watching that kind of stuff? But Marilyn Monroe sang, diamonds are a girl's best friend. And she said this, that she prefers a man who gives expensive jewels because diamonds are a girl's best friend. I'm going to tell you, she must have been a very lonely person. And then Lady Gaga returned 
And I got some, some of you started talking to me then. Have you lost your mind, Mike? Well, I'm just going to tell you, if I've lost my mind, Jesus lost his in a little bit. Then we brought Lady Gaga back, and she sang the song Fame. And in that song, she said this. And, and I'm telling you, even some of you young folks started disassociating this because this is inappropriate to be here in church. She said, I can't help myself. I'm addicted to a life of material. We want to live the life of the rich and famous. Gee, that lady's probably selling billions of records maybe over her lifetime. She gets old and continues because she has evaluated our society perfectly, even older folks as well as young folks. Now listen, some of the older folks are already disagreeing with me. Now let's listen to Jesus' words and see if you disagree with his words. Because if you're disagreeing with me, you're going to disagree with his words. Because he knows this is what we are like. And then we heard a song by So T. He sang the song Material Things. This is what he said. By then, some of you said, I'm not listening to that rock music. And So T said this. A black man said this. An African-American man said this. Some never achieve their dreams just because they're longing for the material things. I wish I'd said that. He said, material things, you're going to kill us. You'll never be satisfied with expensive things that you, things that you keep on buying. Boy, he knows our society too. If you would, take your message map. There's a, there's a page to fill in some of the blanks. I want you to fill in the first blank, if you would, on that message map. And, 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 the words are on the screen. You can put it in there. The message of this world is that if you have, and if you can afford to go, and if you can do, then you are living. Yet many experience these things, and they know they are not experiencing living very well. They are always longing for something else. People older like me, if we can have, if we can go, we can do, we sit in judgment on people who can't do that. And we, we become the authority. But you know what? People my age are losing their children and their grandchildren. Unless we can listen, we can help them have, and we can set up better trips to let them go, and we can make sure that there's money behind it so they can do. Then they stay attached to old sugar daddy. Or sugar mama. But we leave out the most important thing. And today, Jesus is going to talk about that something else at the end of my statement. They are always longing for something else. Jesus is going to talk about that. Will you and I hear what he has to say? I just wanted to overwhelm you with all this music talks about the material matter of fact some of you heard that Marilyn Monroe was singing out there and you didn't get in here and so I've asked them when we're all done and I say amen 
They play Marilyn Monroe, Diamonds Are Forever again, so you can hear it. But when you listen, understand, that is a woman who lived a very lonely life. People all around her. So lonely that everyone who knows about her knows she took her own life. Longing for something else. Today we're going to learn about that. Let me say thank you to those people who came and helped with the property yesterday. Boy, we have removed some walls. We have just done a lot of work. We all were excited. We got, we got a semi-dumpster out there. We didn't even imagine. We filled that completely already. And I want to thank you. And if you want to help, by all means, come. You say, what can I do? Listen, you can just pull nails out of a board maybe. You can help make things safe. You can help sweep up because we're trying to keep the dust from spreading. There are things you can do without thinking you've got to be a qualified carpenter or qualified in any kind of craft. We just need help, okay? And so if you want to help, come on and help us. I appreciate those who did. I appreciate them giving of themselves for that. Let me also say, there are, there's a large room. If you've been in that facility, there's a large room at the end of the building. And we have that just packed full of stuff, okay? And uh, that stuff that's in the church, that Connection will not continue using most likely. And so we're letting the Clearview people uh, come in Monday or Tuesday, and they can take any of that stuff, okay? And uh, between, uh, I think I told them, 6 and 8 o'clock. And uh, they can take that because they paid for that. I mean, they've given us such a gift, okay? They've given us such a gift. They could have just sold us the building, but they've given us some, some furnishings. They've given us some sound things. They, they're giving us a gift. And so for two days, I'm letting them take whatever they want out of that park. And then Wednesday and Thursday, because now you're paying for the property, if, if you want any of that stuff, you come Wednesday 6 to 8, Thursday 6 to 8, and if you want that, you take it because we want it out there. Friday and Saturday, I'm just going to get rid of it, okay, because we – do not need it in our way. But uh, there are some things that may be useful to some people, and it's a shame if, if they don't approach and, and take it. So, so please realize, and if connection folks come out Monday and Tuesday, I'll chase you off. Okay, I'm going to be there to monitor because I just want to be as gracious as I can with the people who have gifted us. And so uh, and if they don't make the choice, then, uh, then it will be available. We need to move it out. Okay, so you know that. Tell you what, before we go any further, I just want to have a prayer of thanks to God because we didn't have anybody hurt yesterday. We had a great crew, a great bunch of help. And then also I want to ask God to help us to hear in this thing that we are to give praise and glory to him with everything. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for people who took time Thank you for them giving themselves. Thank you for those who wanted to be there, but because of work and, and other obligations couldn't. Father, I thank you. I thank you that we have people who are willing to give themselves. And I thank you for the safety we have. And we pray. We pray for safety tomorrow for those who will be working tomorrow night. And Father, I want to ask you that in what we're going to do. You, you, you've seen my part of it. And, Father, you've heard my prayers concerning those videos. Now, I knew some folks would probably think, God, what's going on? But, God, we are bombarded with a material world. 
we are material people. Help us to hear the words, your words. You spoke to us that we would realize that we are to praise you and give glory to you with everything, not just Sunday morning, everything, not just what we put in an offering, but everything, everything. Jesus we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Luke, Gospel of Luke, back part of the new the Bible. It's the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament. One of the four biographies of Jesus, the Gospel of Luke, the twelfth chapter. Okay? If you have one of those New Testaments, it's page sixty-two. Okay? Uh, let's look at the first verse, but uh, let me encourage you if you don't have a Bible then by all means, our New Testaments are always on tables out here during this study in Luke, and we want you to take that and each week just bring it back with you and use that. There's just something about having the written word to be able to look over then during the week and uh, reread, rethink. If you take your message map and these thoughts and you reread that, God can speak. His Spirit will speak again to you concerning what He is saying today. Okay? But the words will be on the screen if you don't have a Bible, so don't, don't sweat that, okay? Now, you've got to remember, okay, you've got to remember okay, what, what last week I told you, okay, that Jesus would be saying some very significant things in chapter 12. Matter of fact, I, I have prepared these sermons, and, and, and I am delivering them, I am sharing them with you, and there's, there's just some, some feeling inside me that says, oh, I don't want to really say these things. Okay, because it's going to sound like the pastor's trying to throw guilt on people to manipulate them, and I don't want to. I don't want to go and tell you preachers don't do that. Okay, come on, moms and dads do that to their own children. Grandpas and grandmas do that to their grandchildren. Okay, but they have to be spoken because they're spoken by our Lord. Okay, and I've already told you. I warned you. When we came into chapter 12, Jesus is going to say some very confrontational things. He gets very insightful about life, and what he says is very real. And so when you first want to fight with it, I, I plead with you just to let, accept it and sort of let it marinate in your mind or let it meditate there with your thoughts while you're spending this afternoon and when you lay your head down tonight and when you're driving tomorrow. Because, you see, Jesus has the answers that will make a difference for you. We tend to think, no, no, the answer is in someone else. That will give meaning to life. Or the answer is in something else. That will give meaning to life. And Jesus has the answers. Now, let me say this. If you are not a follower of Jesus, what you're going to hear may be really in-your-face stuff. Understand. Jesus is not in a church saying this. Jesus is not in a denomination saying this. Jesus is just with the average people of his world speaking these words. Look at verse 1. Look what he says in verse, or what it says in verse 1. Meanwhile, I talked about this last week, but I want to look at it first. Meanwhile, the crowds grew until thousands were milling around and stepping on each other. And if you remember, I told you, this is becoming like a concert venue around Jesus. People are coming and they are excited and they are expecting 
they are excited and they are expecting. They don't know what to expect. They don't know whether they're going to see something which the Pharisees would call a production, a show. That's what the Pharisees would have called Jesus. Because you see, he did things that they called magic. And that's what you did with those charlatans. So Jesus would have been called a production or a show. And the people are are excited about this because they are seeing things and they're hearing things. As, As already Luke has told us, they realize Jesus is saying things like they've never heard it said before. If I have anything that I ask God for, look, Christianity has been around for 2,000 years. Men and women who speak much clearer and better than me have spoke these words. People have studied the the Gospels and, and the New Testament and the Old Testament much more thorough than I have. I'm not probably saying anything new. All I can do is bring my creativity into it and look at the culture around me because I think we don't sometimes when we teach the Bible and look at the culture around me as Jesus did and then maybe something is communicated that is meaningful. But it's his words that are the foundation. And these people are coming out. Now, now, it says thousands are gathering. This is in a time and in a land area where, where the average town doesn't have 100 people. We know from people who've studied the demographics, not even Christian people, people who've studied that region, that the towns sometimes only have 20 people or 50 people. The average town, maybe 100 people, maybe. Jerusalem was a metropolitan area. So you got people who have to plan to leave their home, and they can't get in the mighty fine vehicles. They have to plan. They're going to walk, and they got to plan maybe a day or so's journey so they can be where Jesus is going to be. We think it's hard sometimes to get to church on time or come to a, a connect group. They had to really plan. But you see, listen to me, the average person realized that Jesus affects everyday life. Now, this world doesn't know that. If this world believed that, there would not be room enough in any of our churches. But back then, the average person knew that Jesus affected everyday life. And I've said this before. Because sometimes people who don't like the church and the New Testament organizes the church, okay? Not some denomination. The New Testament tells us about that. Sometimes there's people who who study the Scriptures and they say, I'm just one of these street evangelists or street preachers. Because that's what Jesus was. And I've told you again, Jesus was not a street preacher or a street evangelist. He would go into the synagogue. He would go to the temple. The reason we identify him with a street preacher or a street evangelist is because, you see, when the thousands come around, or the hundreds, there's not room in a place with a roof over it. And so Jesus has to meet on the side of a mountain. He's got to meet on the street corner. He's got to meet in a valley and talk to them because that's the only place where he can get this many people together. Okay? And so we got this scene. Jesus has these this multitude of people. And last week, I talked about it. Now listen to me, this is very important. He said, don't let your life be controlled by bullies. And I talked about that. Now we can look at the religious bullies, the Pharisees. 
But I told you bullies are more than what we call people talk about God. A mom or a dad can be a bully. Listen, some children are bullies to their parents. I'll just tell you this. God says in His Word, those who hate their children, 20, Proverbs 24, 13, those who hate their children refuse to discipline them. And those who love them care enough to discipline them. Some children are bullies. And you know, Mom, Dad, because they wear you out. Some people at work are bullies. Some mates are bullies. Some of you gals are going to marry a man that's raised by a man that was a bully toward his wife, and that's all that man saw is a man who was a bully toward his, his mother, and he's going to become a bully toward you. And you know he's a bully. The best way, both my daughters tell you, I said, you want to find out if you're marrying a guy that cares about you or just wants to get to your body. That's how I would talk to him about it. I said, when you guys go to the movie and he wants to go see Rocky or he wants to go see one of these adventure movies, you say, how about if we go see this chick flick? And if you don't care to go see chick flicks, now you be very caring in his adventure movies and action movies. If you don't care, I'm going to tell you, when you get married, you might as well realize you're shopping by yourself. You're going to be the car driver, taxi cab driver for the kids. Your man's going to stay home and watch his adventure films. He's going to go hunting. He's going to play ball. And he's going to leave you alone. And if you want that kind of life, both my daughters are told, that's your choice. You see, there's bullies. There's bullies where we work. And I talked about that. I think the biggest bully in our life is ourselves. I think we so come, especially if you are self-sufficient, you take care of yourself, is you have decided you can bully what God is trying to say to you based with what you know is to be true because it's worked for you. And some of us are bullies in ourselves because we keep telling ourselves, I'm a failure, I can't succeed, and we tell ourselves, I'm ugly, we tell ourselves, nobody will like me, we tell ourselves, I can't talk to anybody, you know, we just bully ourselves. Well, Jesus, in the first part of chapter 12, said, do not let bullies control you. And you know what he's going to say now? Starting with verse 13, don't let greed control you. That's what he's going to say. And some of us are going to say, well, I don't let that control me. He says, don't let greed control you. Let something else control you. Let's look at verse 13. Look what he says. Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Now, maybe you've sat with a preacher or a Bible study. I'm not going to go in. The older brother's probably got the father's in Harris' main part, and I'll blah, blah, and this younger brother's saying, hey, this isn't fair and all that, okay? Because he don't like the way tradition is. What I'm going to tell you is, here is a man in the midst of thousands of people. Here's a man that somehow is able to get to the front, Okay? Somehow he's able to get close enough to Jesus that he's able to ask a question of Jesus. And you can see that question in verse 13. This man's question is all about getting. Have you ever met people like that? Why don't we do church this way so I can get? i got a great idea so I can get. Why don't our family do this so I can get? You see, that can be adults or children, parents or children. You see, 
this guy has an opportunity to ask Jesus a question out of the thousands of people. And what does he do? His question is all about getting. And that's just like many of us. Okay? That's what we're always thinking about. Matter of fact, it's easy to miss what Jesus is trying to teach us because in the process of the words he's trying to share with us and God trying to help us understand it, all we can think about is, I wonder when I'm going to get lunch. I wonder when I'm going to get to hear it the way I want to hear it. I wonder when I'm going to, and we get caught up in our getting, and we don't hear what God is saying to us. And so because of this man's question, that's how Jesus is. He works with the culture he's in. He becomes relevant to the people he's around. And because this man asks this question, Jesus is going to talk about accumulating things. Accumulating material. Now look at verse 14. Jesus replied, friend, the next seven words I would recommend you underline so that when you read Luke down the road, you'll realize in this passage I should understand what these seven words are saying, and then you'll look more closely. Now I'm going to tell you, some of you are controlled by yourself. You see, you don't need to underline anything because you know it all, or you won't forget it. Now maybe you have that power. I've just worked with people. I realize you got to mark in your Bible. You've got to reread some things. You've got to know the important words. And Jesus' important words are those next seven words. He said, who made me a judge over you? And see, all of us has to decide that. Is Jesus the judge or am I? Is Jesus the one I'm listening to or is it myself or someone else? He goes on, who made me a judge over you to decide such Things as that. Now, see, Jesus didn't say just that. Jesus is trying to say this, man, listen, you asked this one question. I want to ask you, are you giving me authority to answer this question and other questions that will be in your life? That's what Jesus wants to know. That's what you've got to decide. You've got to decide, are you going to let Jesus be the judge about you? That's what he's asking this man. And each of us must decide, am I going to give Jesus authority in my life? That's what we got to decide. Remember last week when I talked about how do you overcome bullies? Jesus says you got to make him the dominant person in your life. That's how you can overcome what the stain that your dad or your uncle or your mom or your brother or your sister put on you or somebody at work puts on you. You see, everybody makes somebody dominant in their life. Remember I said that last week? You either make yourself the dominant person in your life, or you make someone else, a lot of you gals, will make a guy dominant in your life, and he'll bully you, or you make Jesus. And Jesus is asking this man, look, folks, this is a different place. This is the crowd of the thousands. It's in the same context. Jesus just talked about don't be controlled by bullies. The way you overcome being controlled by bullies is you make sure Jesus is your judge. You make sure Jesus, it's his words that you follow. And when a bully tells you you're trash, you say, no, you know what Jesus said? You're going to hear it in a little bit. I'm valuable to God. I'm not trash. When your mate makes you feel inside, you have nothing to offer, you've got to hear Jesus' words. He's the dominant guy over your mate. Or your boss. When your boss says, or you're fired and you don't feel like you're adequate, you need to hear what Jesus says. You're valuable to God. 
Remember, I've said it ever since we've been meeting. This world beats us down. It beats us down. You'll find success and it'll beat you down again. Because Satan is the prince of this world. And Jesus wants us to give him the authority to be our judge. That's all he's saying to this man. Now look at 15. Then he said, beware. Now look, the man asked the question, so Jesus responds, beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Now what is greed? Now I could get into to different areas of greed. Greed is just an excessive desire for more. That's all greed is. Okay? You got a hammer to drive nails, and then you want that heavier hammer to drive nails. Or you want the, the, the gun that shoots nails. You got a bow and arrow that can kill a deer, but you got to get that better bow and arrow to kill a deer. We got a sound system that works, but we got to get a better sound system that works. See? You got a pair of shoes, but you got to get more shoes. We, 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 got a, we got a fellowship. A church fellowship that is not letting tradition spoil it and will not let people who want to have power spoil it. And we want to say, but I want to see us do more like I want. Greed is just an excessive desire for more. That's all it is. It's hard for us to be honest about greed. Listen, I mentioned shoes. It's hard for us to acknowledge I have more shoes than I can wear. Now, some of us will say that flippantly, but we don't believe that. It's hard for us to acknowledge. Listen, we can understand. Our teenagers say, I need some new clothes. And what do you say? Go look in your closet. But I need some more clothes. Well, I can understand teenagers and children. They're immature. But adults, it's hard for us to acknowledge. We have more clothes than we can wear. Greed always manifests itself in this way. It doesn't acknowledge itself. It hides itself and says, you know, it's only right that I have money and I get more. That's what I ought to do, that I can experience more, that I can go more, that I can do more. That's what greed says. That's what greed says. And so Jesus says, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Because listen, what greed does is greed puts us in the position of a slave. Now listen to me. You see, if you got all those shoes and you got to have one more and you can't get that one more, you're a slave to the excessive desire and you can't find satisfaction in any one of those shoes. Is that making sense? You can't find satisfaction in your vehicle. You can't find satisfaction in your toy or your tool. It makes you a slave. Matter of fact, what God has shared with me is that there's what I ought to be a slave to is Laura. Over anything that's material. She's God's gift to me. Now some of you, I know you're going to stick your nose up for that. And some of you ladies are going to say it's not possible. For the first almost five years of our marriage, that wasn't the relationship. But she didn't give up. She continued being everything because she was so much further along than I. Being everything God wanted her to be as a wife. And she told me after that change come, I always prayed. Man, when your anger would come forward, when your control would come forward, she would facilitate being a good wife. But she always prayed. You see, she turned to her dominant person. Greed 
makes us a slave. Whatever your greed is about. If you don't have enough retirement fund, you are a slave to getting more retirement fund. That's why, listen, some of you parents will give up your finances and even your time to be where your children are. You see, because your greed is you want those kids to love you and you think the love comes by doing more for them. Because this world has said parents don't do enough for their kids. I know there's some moms and dads that abandon their kids, but most of us don't. See, greed makes us a slave to whatever our excessive desire is for. And then when you become a slave, now here's what happens. Think, if you're a slave to someone, when you feel it's not fair, you get angry. When you feel it's not working right, you start worrying. And then when people try to relate to you, you get grouchy. That's what a slave does. Unless you understand slavery as Jesus talks about in relationship to God, as being a servant to God and to others. Greed will make you a slave. Look at the next blank on your message map. Greed out of control will lead you to the place of hopelessness. And you know, that's a sad thing. Some of us have got to be almost 40 years of age, and we've, we've just accepted the hopelessness. It's not going to change. We keep looking for it, but it's never going to change. Look, next week, or the next section of, of chapter 12, Jesus talks about worry, about being anxious in life. It's killing us. I'm going to talk about that next week. Antidepressants, I'll tell you next week, one out of every ten Americans are on some kind of antidepressant. It's just, it's just unbelievable. You know why? Because you see, out of control greed moves us to hopelessness. That's what it does. And you know that experience. And we have learned to exist in hopelessness unless we are like a Marilyn Monroe. And we know we've seen the better. And we know people have seen the better. But we just can't get a hold of living well. And we're not going to live in that hopelessness. And we kill ourselves. Look at the last part of verse 15. And I would recommend you underline the rest of that verse, those nine words. Life is not measured by how much you own. Now look, I told you to underline Jesus' statement, who made me judge. And then here's what the judge says. Life is not measured by how much you own. It's amazing to talk with people who, who are caught up with the material. If somebody lives in a nice house, they feel they're successful. If they don't live in a very nice house, they feel maybe they're not as successful. Oh, they're tactful, they're not rude, but always we look to the material. Jesus says, life is not measured by how much you own. That's not what determines real life, according to Jesus. Now, most Americans, most Americans do not believe those nine words. You see, most Americans... Do not believe that. That's why our advertising, now listen, our advertising always is geared to make us unsatisfied with what, our, what we have. Our advertisement is always making us, always making us to want more. Okay? You, you, you want to get married and a fellow puts a ring on your finger, okay? 
and then you show that to somebody else and they make sure they, that other gal who's married holds her left hand up next to yours so you can see that yours isn't as large as hers. Come on, am I making this up? People, ladies, you're not looking at each other's diamond rings. You see, we measure life by how much we have. And Jesus says, life is not measured by how much you own. Look, look on the screen. Colossians, the third chapter. Look what Paul told the early church, the Christians in the city of Colossae. He says, don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater. Worshiping the things of this world. You see, a greedy person, a person caught up with accessory shoes, shoes, worships shoes. And all of us say, I don't worship shoes. Some of us are lying. Cars, equipment, toys, being able to go and do. Now listen, nothing wrong with those things. Those things aren't sinful. It's that if it becomes controlling in my life, it becomes greed. The excessive desire for more. I become an idolater. I become a worshiper of things. We must not forget what Jesus is telling us. Paul tried to remind the early church. Look on the screen again. Look back. We, we covered this verse, Luke 4, 8. You must worship the Lord, your God, and serve him only. You see, greed causes me to become an I can't wait to go to Six Flags. I can't wait to go to Disney World. I can't wait to buy that new car. I can't wait to get that new piece of machinery. I can't wait for my whatever. Boy, I'm going to worship my garden. I'm going to give all my effort for my garden. I got all the energy for my garden. For God, I don't, but for God, for my garden, I do. And I worship my garden. It's what I get up and think about. It's what I go to bed and think about. It's where I go and I meditate over my garden. I fight the enemies of my garden. And I can multiply that. We, we put the alarms on our house. We do everything to, to keep the cold air and the hot air out of our house. See, we, we, we begin bowing down to what we idolize. And Jesus says, you must worship the Lord, your God, and serve him only. Do you know, you know what Jesus is saying here? He's telling us, beware of greed. I told you how to overcome bullies. You make Jesus down a person. He's saying, you, know what, you want to know how to overcome greed, excessive desire for more? Because we all have it. Don't get me wrong. I do. I can't drive on a car lot on a regular basis. Because I know you got to worship God. That's what he says. And we're in, a, we're in a nation that doesn't worship God. And so we're a nation full of greed. But I'm not talking to the nation. I'm talking to connection. And Jesus is trying to tell us the way you overcome greed. Because it's a worship of something. Is to worship God. That's what he tells us. That's the cure for greed. Worship of God. If you feel hopeless, listen, you don't need more things. If you feel hopelessness, you don't need to go take a trip. If you feel hopelessness, you don't need more money. If you feel hopelessness, you don't need to be able to do more. See, that's what our world tells us. I'm bored at home because I'm starting to feel hopeless. And you know I'm telling you the truth because when we go... And we do, and we experience. It doesn't, it doesn't bring satisfaction. We all are looking for the next time. We all are looking 
for the next experience. Because you see, when we worship it, it's a God that always says, I'm going to control you. And we become a slave to it. Now, look at verse 16. Jesus has said this. Because if you don't understand all that, you won't understand this story he's going to tell. Verse 16. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. Okay? So he's telling them a story. That's how Jesus taught. We look at him. He often told by giving illustrations. That's one of the things I've discovered about when you talk with people. If you just tell them truths, they have trouble catching it. I used to teach little boys that when you play baseball, you've got to keep that glove on the ground. If you don't keep that glove on the ground, you'll get ready to field it and the ball will go under it. I'm telling you, my sons understood it. My daughter, because the other daughter didn't play ball, she understood it. I taught all kinds of kids just to be a gorilla, be a monkey. Keep your hands on the ground. And then I taught them, when you're feeling the ball, your glove's going to be right there on the ground. That's just a story. You see, Jesus taught things through illustrations. I'm not saying you don't have a better way of teaching how to feel the baseball. I'm just telling you, I have learned illustrations are what people remember. And Jesus is telling a story. And he makes it about a rich man because, remember, it's greed. It's greed. And it's going to be a rich man because most of the people he's talking to do not consider themselves rich. Matter of fact, this is one of those sermons I could just elongate it greatly because we are a wealthy country. I could show you where people live and there's nobody, unless you're living in your vehicle, there's nobody probably in this room that lives like a lot of people. Maybe a third of the world's population lives. I mean, they don't have bathrooms. My son came back from Bangladesh. He told us about those people living in a house probably no bigger than these four platform pieces right here, not where the guitar is. Five, six, seven people, and they have to share their public accommodation with other people living in that community. I'm not rich. Jesus is telling the story about a rich man because all these people he's going to talk to are going to say, greed doesn't bother me, I just need more. <laughs> you catch that? <laughs> I'm not greedy, but I need more. So he tells him a story about a rich man. And he's rich because he had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. Now, you've got to understand, this man is wealthy. It's not a sin. It's not a sin to be wealthy. It's not a sin to make money. Okay? This man, from what Jesus is telling us, apparently, <clears throat> in his way, he wasn't doing something sinful. He was just being responsible. He worked well. That's good. I've learned. I'm 63. I have quit passing judgment on people that don't have jobs because I have learned some people have trouble getting a job or going for an interview or keeping a job because their mom and dad didn't teach them how to do that. Because people just really quick go to someone who is an easy pick. That's why some of you men, you, you need a mentor, some of our young men. To help them understand. This man is just a responsible man. He works well. It's not a sin to build wealth. It's not a sin to work honestly and to work well. That's not this man's problem. Jesus is using him as a contrast to what most of those people are feeling. Okay? Verse 17, he said to himself, now look, here it is. What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. He says, what should I do with what I have? Now, that's not a bad question, okay? We all ask that. 
if you, if you live in a house and, and you got all your stuff in your garage and you want to start parking your car in your garage, you say, what should I do? I, I forget now, I read the statistics on, on rental places. Unbelievable in America. What we do, we say, I want to go. First we said, I want to get a shed. And the shed wasn't big enough, so we just go rent the place because we got more stuff. See, this man... He is very good at what he does. And so he asked the question. He says, what should I do? What can I do? Not should. What can I do with what I have? See? What should I do? Hmm. And if you're a responsible person, he comes to a conclusion. Look at verse 18. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, whoa, if other people are responsible like me, they'd be okay too. He says, my friend, talking to himself, he's the dominant person in his life. My friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Just enjoy life. Eat, drink, and be merry. Nothing wrong with eating and drinking and being merry, okay? But he's just saying, I'm just going to build bigger barns and I'll have enough to take care of myself. I'm going to be concerned with taking care of myself. See? And I've already built barns. My barns have already made me wealthy or rich in their eyes. I've already been able to take care of what distinguishes me as a responsible, hardworking person. But now i got more. So what do I do with more that has been given to me? You know what? I do what I did before. I built a bigger barn. Can you catch this? In other words, I'm able to go. I'm able to go to the water park out here when it's done in July 4th. But now I got a little bit more. So why don't I go to Six Flags? And then I get a little bit more. Why don't I go to Memphis? I get a little bit more. Why don't I go to Chicago? I get a little bit more. Why, why, why don't I go to Disney World? Nothing wrong. Listen, nothing wrong with the water park when it's done. Nothing's wrong with Six Flags. Nothing's wrong with Memphis. It's not a sin to go to Chicago. I love to go to Chicago. It's not a sin to go to Disney World. Been there a number of times. But what you got to evaluate is when you have more, what are you supposed to do? What should you do? Come on, you work hard. You ought to be able to enjoy it. Yes, you should. Yes, you should. But this man... He only be concerned with his opinion. Look at verse 20. But God said to him, in the story, Jesus interjects the Father. Or really, a Jew only sees God as one. They don't see a Godhead of God, the Father, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. Jew only sees God, one person. So God said to him, you fool. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Come on. A fool. I built these barns and it's made me so I am successful and I got more. Why don't how to build more barns? Now listen. If this greed has a hold of him, nobody's going to convince him different. He's going to say, you know, people want what I got. That's why they don't want me to keep building more barns. But Jesus says, God says, you fool. Now why does God call him a fool? Look what he says. You will die this very night, and then who will get everything you worked for? In other words, the farmer is living the American dream. The American dream is that you get a job or a profession, and you're successful. It turns into 
financial reward. You get the financial reward. You can purchase a nice vehicle, a dependable. Let's put it that way, a dependable vehicle. And you can buy a home that's dependable. And then maybe you can build a garage on that home to put that dependable vehicle. And then maybe you can buy a little bit better hammer. Now, I'm not picking on carpenters. I'm just telling you, better equipment. You can buy a little bit better bow, buy a little bit better baseball bat. You see, and then you can put a shed out back so you, you can... Park your cars in the garage, and then when you got too much for the shed and the car, you, you can go re rent a storage building. Or what you can do is just build a big building out there to put all your stuff, okay? See, God's saying, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're a fool if that's the way you see life. And that's the American dream. That's what all Americans are doing. And Jesus says that's foolishness. And some of you right now are going to say, I don't like that. And some of you are going to, going to disqualify yourself because you're going to say you're not rich. We're going to talk about that. But that's the American dream. I want to tell you what Jesus is not saying, from my opinion. Jesus is not saying it is a sin to make money. Don't anybody take this story and say that. Jesus is not saying it is a sin to be successful what you do. Listen, I want connection to have successful artists, successful musicians, successful doctors, successful farmers, successful carpenters, successful plumbers, whatever it is you do, dog catchers, whatever it is. This is not saying it's a sin to be successful. If you leave here and Mike Davis doesn't understand that, I'm telling you, I don't believe Jesus said. Jesus is not saying it is a sin to have nice stuff. There's no way. That's got to be somebody who's taken away from what Jesus said God said. And they just don't like somebody being rich. Because they're probably not as they would categorize rich. Let me tell you what I think Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying when it comes to... Listen, when it comes to things, because that's what his crop is, when it comes to things that this man has, he is the center of his life. Oh, that's hard. See, I was pastoring before I tithed. That's hard. And Laura and I decided, and really it was me, because that's that part of my life where I'm the boss. It's hard to decide. Say, God, you're the sinner, not me. Because I kept saying, I can't do it. Jesus is saying when it comes to things, this, what this man has, he is the sinner of his life. Jesus is saying when it comes to this man, now listen to me, when it comes to this man and what he has, he follows his Godhead. And here's his Godhead. Me, me, my family, and my things. That's his Godhead. Jesus is saying, when it comes to what this man has, he's the center of his life, and he follows his Godhead. And when it comes to what he has, he has become the God who decides what to do with what he has. That's all Jesus is trying to say. See, because Jesus says, God says today, you're going to die, and who, what's all that stuff got to do with it? In other words, you're going to take account. <laughs> I'm going to ask you what you do with what you have. And you're going to say, I took care of me, my Godhead, took care of me, my family, and my things. And in this world, you're a good person. It makes no difference if you make $1,000 or you make a million dollars. If you do that kind of honoring of your Godhead, 
The world says you're a good person. The thing is, you've got to die. You're going to die. And the person of the thousand or the person of the million is going to have to give an account to God. And we don't want that, see? That's why Jesus asked this man, now listen, Jesus didn't just bring up the subject. It was culturally relevant. The man said, hey, I want to know, help me, tell my brother so I can get more. Jesus says, okay, don't let me be the authority, then beware of greed, and let me tell you a story about a man that didn't worry about his greed. So Jesus says, he's telling us, God calls this man a fool. God is saying, when you die, the stuff on earth doesn't even pertain to you anymore. Who's going to get that? You are accountable to God for what you did with what you had. Now look what he says. Look at 21. Yes, a person is a fool. Jesus explains this. A person is a fool who stores up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. Hard to understand? Because yes means now I've already told you this. <laughs> but a person is a fool who gives themselves to things, what you can have, what you can do, what you, where you can go, but does not have a rich, not a relationship, a rich relationship with God. That's sort of in your face. I know some of you are going to say, if I had more money, I'd be more generous to God. This isn't just about money. I've told this story before. The church I pastor in the other community, my secretary came to my office and said, hey, told me the name of the person. This lady's coming down. She just won the lottery, 1000 bucks. She's going to give the church 10%, $100. Man, I went out. I watched out the window, and I couldn't wait. Now watch this. Sat back in my office, did my work. I don't know, half an hour later, secretary comes in and says, hey, Said her name. She's not coming by. It was only $100. And what's a dollar to God? You follow what I'm saying? See, we all want to say, if I have more, I could give more. And this isn't just about money. It's about your relationship with God. It's about what you do with what you have. Not what you cannot do, but what you can or you do not have. That's what Jesus is trying to get us to understand here. Look on your message map, the next blank. If you are not generous toward God now with what you have, then you won't be generous if you have a lot more money. Listen to that, young people. Don't, don't even let Satan tell you you have no value to God because you don't have a lot. You have something. Your value to God is just as great as my value to God. If your trinity isn't you, your family, and your things. That's not your Godhead. It's your Godhead. It's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Now listen, some of you are going to hear this as being manipulated. I'm telling you, you know everything Lady Gaga and Marilyn Monroe and Madonna sang about is all unfulfilled living. And they do it so they can get your money. But it's unfulfilled living. Look on the screen. Look, look at Luke 16. We're going to get this down the road. Look, if you are, Jesus said, if you are faithful, now look at this. If you are faithful in little things, you only make $100, you only make $1,000, somebody else making 10, 15, 
100,000, 40,000. If you are faithful little things, you only have a small house, you only have a, 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 a car that isn't so new, okay? If you, are only, if you are faithful in little things, okay, in relationship to God, he says, you will be faithful in larger ones. You're going to learn how to turn that over. But if you get more and you haven't learned little things, it gets harder to give bigger things. But if you are dishonest in little things, by dishonest means you deny. You deny that you have anything. You deny that there's anything in your life that is worthwhile to God. I, I, I went to an operetta. I saw, I saw a, a fellow I knew from a few years back playing his fiddle. I saw somebody playing a saxophone. I thought, wow, think if we could take that fiddle and that person could become creative with that in connection. We would be mesmerized with that violin or if that saxophone player. I got thinking, how did Kenny G get to the place he was? You think his music teacher who did this, one, two, three, four, one, two, however that goes. Kenny G got alone and he just started playing it, man. Think of that saxophone player, took the saxophone, gave it to God. It would, it would some weeks just pull us in to worship. See, it's not how much you got. It's what you do with what you have. And if you are responsible and you're not dishonest, but if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Now, that's not saying the world may not make greater responsibilities available to you. God, Jesus is just saying, listen, you're not going to be responsible in relationship to God. It's not going to happen. That's why the best time to start giving your money to God is when you first get a job. The best time to start giving your time to God is whenever you find out your parents let you start making decisions. The best thing for these kids to learn is to come to church and start help. And, and someday we're going to have a new property. So let them help in something else. The best thing to start learning is when we're young. Some of us didn't have parents do that. So we can start now. We can start now. We can just be responsible in a few things. Telling God we want to learn. Jesus is just saying we should be generous to God. It's not the amount. It's the generosity that God looks at. Look again at verse 21. Look back. We've already covered. Yes, Jesus said a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Almost every one of us have more shoes than we can wear. And I say almost because some of you may have feet just hidden under your jeans, okay? Almost all of us have more shoes than we can wear. Almost all of us have more clothes than we can wear. Almost all of us have visions of going to places than we can ever go to. See, we all have this desire. But the person who evaluates their relationship with God, is it rich? If it's not, I will make it rich. I will commit myself to that. You, you know what's interesting? Listen. Blew me away. I didn't know for sure which Sunday I was going to preach this on. It blew me away. In God's timing, he has this sermon about being generous toward God during a time when we have asked our people to make commitments of giving to God. Do you follow with me? Toward the new property so we can do the ministry more efficiently. 
for God. This week in space, going over this, I thought, wow, this blows me away. Really, last week it hit me. So I contacted our treasurer for some information, not names. But it hit me. God, you put this right here, right here in the midst of our vision for, from God. Challenge. Individuals are deciding. Will they give to God? No way can I give to God. Look, we already said it's not everybody giving the same gift. It's everybody giving the same sacrifice. That's all we're talking about. People making a sacrifice. We are to share. Not because we have a lot. We are to share from what we have. That's all. That's all. Some could decide. I'm not going to buy another pair of shoes until I make, I complete my commitment of giving. Some could decide. I'm not going to buy any more clothes until I complete my commitment of giving. Some could decide. I'm not going to take another trip until I complete my commitment. See, some of you are going to say, I think you're manipulating us. I'm just telling you, I didn't choose to make this day. It's the way it's come about. I already told you I want to do a chapter at a time. I didn't even know we were going to do vision from God as we were moving to this place. And it really it was last week. The treasurer tell you it was last week that I sent and said, I need some financial information, not names, so I can share with our people. You see, when I talk about shoes, clothes, trips, I don't know. Don't buy that new toy until after you do your commitment to God. I'm just giving you some ideas. It's sort of like the couple that decided they were going to purchase another dependable vehicle, not even a new one. But hey, they're going to wait. They're going to drive their vehicle for three more years and just take that payment and give it to God. Or the boy, the boy that his parents give him $25 and he, he, he sort of got caught up and he said, I'm going to give $2.50 for my three-year commitment. I'm going to tell you, the couple and the boy, they're on the same level before God. They are. That's what Jesus is trying to say. Look, look at the last blank on your message map. Being rich toward God means sharing with God and trusting God to meet your needs. That's all being rich toward God is. And there's two people it starts out with who knows if you're sharing with God and if you're trusting God, that's you and that's the Father. Now, if you are doing what God wants, any significant person in your life starts seeing that in your life. But that's all that being rich toward God is. That's all it is. Look, look on the screen. Look what Jesus said in Matthew. We're going to get this next week in Luke, okay? Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. Now, that means you live the way God says. You're honest. You don't cheat. You don't harbor ill feelings, okay? And he, God, will give you everything you need. See? That's what Jesus tells us. Now, who makes him the judge? You've got to decide. Are you going to make him the judge? What a promise from God. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, Laura and I had to accept that promise when we began starting with 10%. Then we tried to put everything under 10%. God said, 
you know, you give the 10% to my church and how we try to give 12%. And you give the other above that. And, and, and we, had, we had to trust God to do that. When it came time, listen, when it came time for me getting out of the military and could we afford to go to college, we've got a child, no, no discernible skill to earn money. We had to trust God to just decide to go to college. Listen, her and I had to trust God. We talked about this. We had to trust God to get married. She's 18 and I'm 19. Her dad says, how are you going to provide? You know what I said? I said, I'm going to trust God. There in his living room. Some boy come and ask my daughter when she's 18 and he's 19. And he said, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to kick him out of my living room. Because now I'm where her dad was. You understand? But we can look back. It, see, she's smiling. She knows she was sitting there. She knew I could convince her dad to give her permission to marry me. Yeah, I guess that would work, huh? We had to trust God. We, we, when it came to our children going to college, we had to trust God. See? I know. You all hear about the great preachers, but I'm not the great preacher. And so we had to learn to trust God. And you know what? We have learned to trust God so that other than what she could make in the house, we trusted God in that. I'm not telling you guys it that way. We would, we would talk to God about that. We had to trust. You, you catch what I'm saying? You see, all of life just becomes a trusting of God, seeking what we felt he wanted us to do, which was best in living for him. I want you to know, I am proud of connection. A church that basically, basically is seeking to reach people who do not have a traditional background. We have run off people who are used to giving money to the church. And I say run off because when they hear that we're not going to have business meetings, we're not going to let them vote, we're not going to do this, we're not going to change our music, we're not going to do Sunday school on Sunday morning. See? They quit coming. Look. 38 years of my life was toward the, the traditional church, the last community I left from. In 11 to 12 years, we raised a quarter of a billion dollars for construction of facilities. I know money. And then God moves on me whenever He, by His will, takes me out of the traditional church and gives me six months to study the missional church. And then to look truly, I never looked that America is the third most lost nation because we're not doing it right in America. We're reaching some people. We're seeing people saved. But we're not even touching the culture. And I'm going to tell you, whenever I watch some of those people that I knew their background, I knew if they came, they're going to be regular givers. They would give as much as 10 to 20 some of the other people. But you see, it wasn't the money I ever prayed to God about. It was, God, I want to be culturally relevant. I want you to give us people who would be culturally relevant. I want to see people who are having drug problems. I want to see people having drinking problems. I want to see people who can't stay married. I want to see people who have been abandoned as children. And now they're teenagers and single adults. And they're, they're married adults. And they're trying to get it together. You see... I'm proud of connection because some of you still try to hijack that vision. And I just tell you, hey, that's a good idea. But I'm proud of connection because, you see, we are starting to develop a process of people that are seeking to be generous to God. 
We don't have a large number of givers like a lot of churches. Lisa figured up all our giving. Look on the screen. Let's look at the next one. This is what connects. The average household gives $1,526 in 2012 to connection. I just think that's great. That's great. That means people who give maybe $100 or $1 a week, $52, or maybe $500 through the year, that would be what? $520 would be $10 a week. There's others who give more. The average is fifteen twenty six. I'm going to tell you, if I could get into a lot of churches that are are established, they, they they're not developing that with any new people. And look look at our connect group leaders. Their giving is three times what the average is. Some of you might say, I don't like my connect group leader. You know, our connect group leader by taking all that they give and dividing it by the nine leaders, they give three times what the average. That, that's not hypocrisy. And you may say, I don't like my connection leader. I think he or she's a hypocrite. By giving, that's not hypocrisy. And look at our lead team. Our lead team gives basically four times as much as the average person. I don't like those people on the lead team. Look at, look at their example. You see, if, if, if I wouldn't have been able to get these figures, and I didn't know what they were going to be, when I got them, I said, wow, wow. Now, I want you to understand, I took connect group and lead team out of the average, so the average would be the people that aren't the leaders. Look, our people are giving people, and our leaders are leading, not just by talking, by their actions. When you don't see what they're giving, they're giving. And I talked to God about this. I'm telling you, I could cry now. God, you give me this kind of leadership. You give me people that just don't come and listen to me, but they're people who whenever I don't even get to see what they give because I don't look at financial things. I don't want to treat you any different than someone else. I never have in my ministry. I said, God, Connection's now going to move to new property. Just give us more leaders like this. Just won't talk about it. Someday your son and daughter's going to grow up and they're going to know or else you're going to hide it from them. They're going to know. All you are is a bunch of words and show with no action. I'm so proud. Connection. Look again at verse 21. Yes, a person is a fool to store up wealthy earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. Are you a fool? According to Jesus' words, it's your choice. I'm not calling you the fool. And Jesus wasn't trying to call this man a fool. This man just said, I'm concerned about getting. And Jesus said, I'm going to tell you, be careful. It'll make your life unfulfilled, and it'll make your life empty, and it'll make your life lonely. Beware of excessive desire. And he told a story. And he said, that man was a fool. All he could do is honor his Godhead. His Godhead of me, my family, and my things. He said, yes, that's a fool. A person who doesn't stop and think. Am I even considering my relationship with God? It's 
your choice. Do we have a question? Whenever someone does something that breaks my trust, I always try to forgive them. Even though I've forgiven them, thoughts of their action creep into my head, making it hard to trust them again. What can I do to help make these thoughts stop? Okay, look. Everybody makes somebody dominant, the dominant person in their life. They either make themselves, don't leave that up there, they make themselves or they make somebody else. And usually when we fall in love with somebody, we make somebody else. When we bear a child, now that child becomes a dominant person. And you know, God knows, God knows you would use that child or that person you fall in love with as dominant, or we make Jesus dominant. What you got to do, you do the same thing God does. You see, when you continue to do the action, that is sinful, but you're a child of God, he looks to Jesus and his blood on the cross, his sacrifice, and God doesn't see your bad action. Are you following with me? Whenever somebody does something, and boy, Satan wants to keep bringing my head, I have to go back and say, God, you said if I'm forgiven, I ought to forgive. And so whether that was six months ago, and now it's or, or three weeks ago, and now it's three weeks later, and I start thinking about it again, i got to say, God, God, Matter of fact, I memorized a verse about this. God, you told me, you told me that you forgive all my sins and you wash them away. I'm, I refuse to continue thinking about that. And if it's six months later, I'm going to tell you, whenever I do that, it shuts the door on Satan. For five seconds, five minutes, five days, five hours, five months, and it's been years. Every so often, Satan wants to bring in what somebody did to me. And I just said, you know, I've already forgotten. Forgive me. I went to an operetta last night. And I saw some people did something to me they shouldn't have done. I tried to wave to every one of them and say, how are you doing? Not to put it in their face, but because that's what the dominant person in my life, Jesus, would do. He'd want to bless them. I went up to their children who were in the thing. I got to see them. And I said, you did a great job. I enjoyed watching you. You see, you just got to keep putting the blood of Jesus on the wrong action. That's what you got to keep doing. Okay? Listen. Let's bow together for prayer. And then if you want to watch Diamonds Are Forever, remember you can. Let's bow together. Father, thank you for Jesus' words. And God, they're hard for me to live by sometimes because I get caught up with myself. I just pray that you help us. Help us to stay around people who talk about what Jesus is talking about. And help us to bring our children and our grandchildren around people who talk about what Jesus talks about because this world just bombarding their minds with the philosophy of this world. Father, just help us. Help us to be people who will honor the true Godhead of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And help us to be people who would make Jesus the dominant person in our lives. God, help us to be people. No matter what our income or what possessions we have, but to be people who are evaluating if our relationship is rich or deep. We pray these things for glory.